0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Papadimitriou and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be we the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern bird travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 25 minutes and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the U.S. airlines present their First skies report. All Sky Team airlines use messaging apps for customer support. A new plane tracking system by Rockwell Collins. A Qantas 747 lands on a very short runway for posterity. The Apple Watch and its promise for freaking travelers and a look at private 747s in disguise today. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger bell sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones.
0: This is layover's flight 007 to Miami. Hi, Alex. Hey. Good morning. 007.
2: 007. We've been. All of the other episodes have just been waiting for this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was. 007. I mean, we
0: got one shot at this, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, this is the James Bond episode. It's also an episode that will be filled with a lot of interesting stories. Uh, the First of all, uh, we both wanted to, um, you know, Harrison Ford. I mean, he never played James Bond, but he's a very big hero of other action movies. had an
2: accident last week. You saw that, right? He did, yeah. He uh, had an engine failure right after takeoff in Southern California and managed to quite expertly put it down on a golf course with... No injuries to anybody, no damage to property. I mean, he bashed himself up pretty good. I think he broke his wrist and was quite, quite bloodied. But uh, this is an extremely experienced pilot doing a textbook emergency landing in a very, very difficult situation. So kudos to him.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. it was pretty impressive. And apparently he's unhurt. I mean, he's okay. So that's a very, very good side of the story because we were a little bit worried. And uh, Alex and I are basically um, hoping that he will have a swift recovery. Yes, absolutely. He's a credit to the industry. He really is. Uh, Moving to the news of the week, uh, the shaken and and steered news of the week, because this this saga is never ending. It's going to be actually, uh, I think, if we're going to have more episodes of the James Bond franchise at some point, this is still, and again, the uh, US airlines versus the Gulf airlines. So, have you seen the report? I mean, you know, that report that we've been talking about since a few episodes—you know—that apparently the report that says that that uh, exemplifies all this, uh, the the subsidies that the Gulf airlines uh, are apparently getting is out. Have you have you seen it? Have you actually read the seventy pages?
2: <laughs> I, I have not, certainly not read the seventy pages, but I have read a lot of the editorial around it, and the gloves are off. They better be very confident about. The data that they provided when i say they i mean the the american airlines that have submitted this report about the middle eastern three airlines and the subsidies that they allegedly receive that is making the whole landscape uh sort of anti-competitive
0: so uh very quickly i mean uh there's uh we have a blog post on layovers dot two which has the numbers uh there's also a, the full report is embedded there in a pdf format if you want to peruse use it i've actually not read it in full either. I didn't want to go through, but uh, there's a one-pager that this, uh, this coalition, because now it's a coalition I've, I've, I've done, and uh, it goes through the, the three uh, different types of, uh, the, sorry, the three airlines and the different types of uh, subsidies are getting. And yes, we're reaching more than $40 billion. Uh, you can still see, though, that there's a, a slight difference between what they complain about Emirates on one side and Etihad and, and and Qatar and the
2: other, you can still feel a slight difference there, right? Yeah, the tone is is very different in in each of these, which I think is interesting and telling, and I think perhaps indicates some um, the, the, sort of the level of relationship that they have with each other already before this, yeah, this correct. all kicked off. Uh, the, the, there's an interesting
0: quote there. He says these careers are expected to grow capacity at more than three times the growth rate in global GDP. Between twenty twelve and twenty twenty, so obviously this is what we, you, you and me, have been saying. I mean, there's a little bit of fear there. Uh, there yes, their cake.
2: absolutely, there is fear, and I think that that statistic would have been used to, if it had been them, to say, look how fast we're growing, we're growing faster than GDP. This is wonderful. The industry, blah 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 blah. But yeah, holy
0: So, um, so, and there's, so there's no, there's a so that's the Fair Skies Coalition, uh, which also cancels members fair the. Skies uh, are, <laughs> Yeah, that's good practice, right? Give me a break. It counts as members, you know, some unions or the Airline Pilots Association, etc., etc. So they they launch a a marketing campaign. Uh, There's another uh, group that's called Americans for Fair Skies. I mean, you know how that's lobbying. Basically, all these groups uh, suddenly pop up at the right time. It's a very uh, well-orchestrated campaign. Uh, So you can actually follow if you uh, hashtag Fair Skies, on Twitter Facebook, etc., you can see a lot of those uh, sudden, uh, you know, updates being uh, deployed in the past few days. So they're really going; uh, they're putting out the gloves. The Economist had written an, uh, an interesting article because they are they are supporting a little bit that view that there's a, uh, clearly a market distortion in the Middle East. I'm not sure I completely agree, uh, but. One quote that I actually uh, that, that found uh, funny was the uh, the president of U.S. Airways, Scott Kirby, uh, said, "We just want to compete on a level playing field. That's the American way."
2: What a strange thing to say! This is—I mean—that's such a strange thing to say. It's—it this is not an American industry, and viewing it as such would bring the whole industry down, you know, into, <laughs> in terms of quality. It's. I think they have massively, massively underestimated the backlash that this is going to get. And I think we've started to see some ripples of that in the responses from some of the other American airlines who have basically said, What the heck are you guys doing? Do you have any idea the size of the fight that you're picking? This can only go badly. And you're going to drag us down with you. Shut up.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, so the uh, you're right. Um, so the, the the three airlines from the Gulf haven't officially uh, made any stance yet. Tim Clark, the CEO of Emirates, has basically promised that he will also hire a team of forensics, of analysts, etc., to actually. Do a similar research on, on the American airlines and what kind of subsidies they are getting. Uh, so, basically, this is where we're going to start seeing like a lot of stuff happening. And let's be honest, uh, the numbers, uh, so from the early days, basically, of, of flying until probably the 70s or the 80s, the US government provided more than maybe 150 billion in subsidies, which in is state aid for the airline, which is normal. I mean, every single airline especially flat carriers were started by governments you know so that this it's just that the timing was much before compared to the ones in in the gulf so i and
2: there's a lot to dig there honestly yes but- exactly and they're gonna go into this and they're gonna buy the most expensive lawyers they can and they're gonna they find all the things they need to pull this and I, i'm not entirely sure what the u.s carriers are expecting to get out of this, are they going to say, oh, give the money back or <laughs> or what? I, I just and if they if they just taken all the money that that they're going to spend on lobbying and everything like that and invested it in the product and the service, they might actually be able to compete with the uh, with the Middle Eastern carriers. It's just so misguided. I really don't understand what they think the end game is going to be. Well, the end game is probably lobbying to the
0: government because that's that's the thing. What's the I government going to do, though? I mean, the,
2: that, yeah, I oh, mean the, the the Canadians are doing
0: that. The Canadians are basically blocking the expansions by not giving slots to uh, to the Gulf Airlines. I mean, maybe the Americans could do that. What I, what I'm trying to say here, I'm not taking sides in, in the way of saying okay, what the Americans should do, what the Gulf should do, is that the the debate is a bit skewed because this is what I, I, I meant by reading that that quote from Kirby, the American way, is that. Yeah, of course, we want, everybody wants competition on a level uh, that is um, uh, fair. And I do, we all do agree with that. We all, but we both want a great product in terms of flying, and we agree that we want to have some fair competition. The problem is when you start comparing. Countries and starting, what is fair? You have like the labor, the labor rules in the U.S. are totally different from the ones in Europe, which is totally different from the ones in Singapore, which are totally different from the ones in the Gulf, which are totally different from the ones in Africa. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. Yeah. I, at what time do you stop saying and saying what is fair? And and sorry, because I'm going to rant a little bit. It's not as if the American uh, airlines have never had any types of. And I'm not going to use the term collusion because that's the one they're using against the Gulf Airlines. But with the government, I mean, if you look at just, you know, the rebates they're getting on, on, ta- on uh, jet fuel across most almost a majority of the U.S. Uh, US states, it's, it amounts to more than a billion dollars. I know the very touchy subject here is 9-11. So 9-11, obviously, I was very myself affected by, by it. And it's true that the bailout that came after it, because let's call it what it is, a bailout, was... Probably fair, again, that term fair, what does he mean? But probably fair to actually not let all the airlines uh, die just after 9-11. But let's be honest, the airlines were already in a very bad shape before the attacks. They were already losing money. There are quotes, and I'm not going to go through now because I don't want to spend the entire show on it. But there are quotes that clearly display that they were having a lot of distress before the attacks. So having something of these kind of subsidies, where that was a form of subsidy. And then... When the airlines came back to profitability around two thousand six seven, a lot of the programs that were put in place to help the airlines after nine eleven are still in place Absolutely. to this day. I mean you can see they offloaded most of the pension plans to to the to the federal state in the U S. So they're not basically, and, and we're talking about a huge amount of money. I think when I think it was Delta. Uh, or United, I don't remember, but I'll, I'll find the notes for you. But when, when Delta or United were, uh, did their, their second bankruptcy was 2012, was it? Uh, they offloaded for an amount to $8 billion of pensions. We're talking, you know, so we see $40 billion on one side, but here we're also talking that suddenly they were externalizing part of the losses to the federal state. Uh, so do not let. I, I want this debate to be fair again. That term in a way that you know, in, on every in every country, the U.S. included, there are ways. Uh, there are ways where the government works with national airlines. It has always been the case. Yeah. Let's not believe that suddenly you know uh, the competition on one side is a pure private private uh, thing, and the other side is a public thing. That's it's not true. It's just yeah. not
2: true. And I think you're. Apt, I agree with absolutely everything you said, and I. Th- there's a telling silence from a certain region that makes this whole argument seem very strange. And I would argue that those most affected by the rise of the of the Gulf carriers are those carriers in the past who relied on a hub model, Singapore Airlines, Thai, Cathay, who, especially Singapore Airlines, who relied on people transiting in from Singapore into Singapore and then off somewhere else that was the a, a big part of their entire business model and that has been chipped away we talked about it in an earlier episode you know measurably chipped away over the last decade and yet they've not said a thing about this issue yet and they have way more to lose than a US carrier and this is my opinion what i'm about to say but this is so typical of incumbent U.S. carriers trying to fight competition in the courts so they don't have to fight them on the playing fields. And I think now that I've kind of said that, the, the, uh, the thing that I think they're probably trying to get out of this is when the Middle Eastern three say, okay, well, now we're going to fly London, New York, London, San Francisco, they can put a bunch of blocks in place to make sure that that doesn't happen and as opposed to just competing. Yeah, that's probably
0: you are no, absolutely right. I think, but uh, uh, yeah, just uh, the, the 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 example of the, the the bankruptcy in 2012 was obviously AA, sorry American Airlines. Uh, but the, what are you uh, totally right is we're not hearing that much from the European carriers either.
2: Lyft, I mean, Lufthansa have said a little bit because I think one of the Middle Eastern carriers has gone after them specifically because they'd made comments about how you know unfair it is and all of that, but. You're right. For the most part, they haven't said much. Uh, in 2004, that's an interesting uh, tidbit of history, the, the the
0: the chairman of BA, I mean we're talking 10 years ago, but still, said um uh, he called US careers the walking dead, which had been f- <laughs> and I'm quoting, which had been uh, forced to seek protections from the creditors are being uh, and being propped by the palliative care of chapter 11. Oh, <laughs> goodness me. The ch- the chief executives of BA the same the same year uh, uh, also complained about the US uh, carriers having um, using Chapter Eleven of the State Eight. What what I mean by here by that is that again, what is fair? I mean at the at the moment it's true that some uh, of the airlines in in Europe, so Lufthansa, Air France KLM Group, uh, and BA, we haven't heard them a, a lot about it. Are are also doing action against uh, the Gulf Airlines. I mean they raised the issue to the European Commission. But it's still interesting how silent they are in actually, you know, um siding with U.S. airlines. So we will maybe side on a debate, but they will not side with U.S. airlines. We're still talking competition here. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, same thing happened in Europe. I could list all the airlines got, got out state hate here. I mean, Lufthansa is one with a pension plan, but there was a lot Polish Croatian airlines, Serbia jet, Monite- Montenegro airlines, Air Malta, Latvia, SAS, Malev before it died, Cyprus service before it died. Wow. Ex- there's a huge list also, because the European Commission says... Uh, uh, there's a um, uh, competition commission by the EU that's, that it, it says that emergency support is acceptable. And what is, of course, then the definition of emergency support is a bit like, you know, variable. So that, that the same kind of thing exists. And of course, it's it's opening the Pandora's box here because every country will start to say, okay, what you did there is unfair. What you did there is unfair. And we're going to have this huge battle. So coming back to what you said, Alex, at the very beginning of, of that segment, and I'm sorry it's taking so long, it's true that this fight, it's just only starting. And the more aggressive they are in the US, the more it will open... Big kinds of worms.
2: Yeah, I think that they are ultimately going to regret this. They'll lose. I think they're trying it with Norwegian. I think Norwegian are going to find a way around to this obstructionism. Uh, this, yeah, th- this is going to go on until we're at episode one hundred and seven, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know I don't think we'll have, we'll have finished it up by then. But boy, I think they've made a costly mistake by on un- by trying to do this.
0: But it will be, uh, to finish, it will be very interesting to see what Tim Clark comes up, Emirates, because he will do that task force just for the fun of it, because we always say Emir- Emirates is always a, always a cool head in that yeah. debate, whereas Etihad and, and, and Qatar are not always. So Al yeah. Baker from Qatar Airways just, uh, I mean, he didn't comment on the report itself, but you know that uh, they are the, deploying their second A350, and they're again, putting the, three, the A350 to Frankfurt. <laughs> yeah. And you know what he said in Berlin, there was he speak a travel show? It said, uh, "The new jet will be deployed on this route to rub salt in the wound of Lufthansa." <laughs> Jesus, uh, Etihad is actually launching the A380 with that residence, you know, that fantastic room to New York on December 1st, so uh, also not very, going really against Going right into the backyard of some of these carriers, yeah. And last comment, Lufthansa, and that's actually very smart. You know, Lufthansa will start uh, with Eurowings, you know, their their local subsidiary, they will start serving Dubai. And you know what's the starting price? 99.99 euros. Wow. That's a good answer, right? That's competition. That is, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, yeah, I me mean, moving on, we're still on Emirates. Uh, have you heard that uh, they, want, they still want the A380s NEOs?
2: Yeah. They
0: can't seem to make up their mind about this, can they? Actually, it's funny. I went, I went a little bit back into history. Last September, the Emirates said, we want 70 Airbus uh, A380 NEOs. Uh, then in January at the World Economic Forum... The number increased to 100. And now (laughs) last week, it's 200. I mean, they're really putting a lot of pressure on Airbus. On Airbus, that's a And
2: and if you go to Airbus and say, we want this airplane, uh, we want 200 of these airplanes, you basically get to co-create that airplane, you know? So they can say, we need this maximum takeoff weight. We need these improvements over the current model. We need this, 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 and this. Why? Because we're going to buy 200 of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Interesting enough, in uh, uh, here, the, the the chief executive of Airbus uh, actually said, uh, I think it was also last week, that the A three hundred and eighty program is breaking even this year. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, who real, said that? Airbus? break even. Yeah, uh, Tom Ender's.
2: So the chief exec from Airbus. Wow. Oh, good for them. That's good. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah, it's good for them. Yeah. So we may uh, see another breath of life into the A three hundred and eighty program. Yeah, probably so. Good.
0: Uh, James Bond still, you know, in Tomorrow Never Dies, is just, uh, the, the plot is about that uh, warship that is being untraceable in the Chinese waters. Uh, and we come back to that untraceable plane that nobody can find.
2: Yeah, so it's it's we've come up on a year since um, we lost Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, MH370. And as a result of that, as we talked about last week, there has been sort of more speculation and more analysis as we've reached this kind of this milestone in the search coinciding with that, a a report by the Malaysian government, which was 700 something pages long that basically didn't really say. Did you, did you read it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good, good bedtime reading. Um, It didn't really say anything new. It didn't say anything new. And I think that that upset a lot of the families that there had been real, no, no real progress. One of the little nuggets that came out of it that the press picked picked up on was the underwater, the battery for one of the underwater locator beacon had expired <laughs> more than a year before the crash. And of course, the press went crazy over this. It actually didn't mean a whole lot. It it just meant that the battery for the locator beacon on the flight data recorder had not been replaced, perhaps when it should have, although there were many, many other functional and uh, and, and unexpired locator beacons on the airplane, and no one is entirely sure if this contributed in any way to the plane not being able to be found. So, you know, it's still, it's a tragedy. It's incredible that we have fa- not found a single shred of anything that gives us an idea of where this airplane is, but the, the the search continues. I don't think that this battery thing is any more than a, you know, a piece of writing in a log book that somebody overlooked. I don't think there's anything there that's that's worth following, but one day I hope we find this airplane
0: yeah i I totally agree like as we said last week the uh, the one thing though that actually struck me I didn't read the report either, but I went also reading about you know all the media coverage about it uh, and one thing that actually for me is important is that you remember when the the plane uh, first disappeared there was a lot of misguided communication by the Malaysian government yes. And this is, I think, what actually appears in that report. And then suddenly in that report, stuff that has, had been said before, like, oh, you know, the military radar never picked it up. And then they said, oh, actually, the military radar picked it up. And they said, oh, the military radar saw, didn't see a plane turning back. Oh, the military radar, so the plane turning back, etc., etc. In that report, you can see that they knew a lot of the stuff that they suddenly said they knew three weeks later, they knew it from the get-go. And this is, uh, I don't know if, it's going to change anything, but at least we realized that there was really a, a, a sadly so, a little bit of, 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 of misguided communication. And uh, prob- I'm don't. I'm not i not going to use, because a lot of conspiracy theorists talk, talk about cover-up. It's not a cover-up. It's just that they didn't know how to handle the situation. And there was a lot of back and forth. And you can see that the, some of the search could have been started much earlier if the information had been released at the proper time.
2: Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I still don't think it would have affected the search, but it sure would have made things, gosh, a little bit easier had they been forthcoming with a lot of that information.
0: Yes, okay, that's a James Bond plot, right? uh, Is hijacked submarines like in in *The Spy Who Loved Me* or you know the hijacking missiles in *For Your Eyes Only*? This is the conspiracy theories we're gonna get as long as we don't find that plane. So I really hope we can find it. Uh, Moving on to. Sadly, uh, a series of accidents that you've witnessed. Uh, I mean, you witnessed them personally, obviously. Yeah, no, that would I
2: mean- be that would be weird. I'd start to question my place in this universe if I'd seen all three of these, but there have been in the last well, just basically in March, there've been a series of these weird spe- quite spectacular but but non-fatal accidents in the airline world. We've had three. There was a, the uh SpiceJet -8 uh, in Hubli, which uh, went off the runway, no one was injured. And then in uh, New York, a Delta, yeah, LaGuardia, LaGuardia uh, and MD88 went off the runway in this terrible weather that the East Coast has been having. A few minor injuries, nothing, nothing, no deaths, uh, mercifully. And it kind of went up against the sea wall. So if that had a little bit more juice on that plane, then gosh, yeah, I think this would have like been a kind lot of scary, worse. Yeah. <laughs> but everyone was okay thank goodness there and then finally in in Kathmandu in Nepal a Turkish A330 skidded off the runway and the nose gear collapsed and that closed Kathmandu airport for 3 days before wow. they because they they weren't exactly equipped to get an A380 or pardon me A330 off of the runway so <laughs> it just sat there again nobody badly hurt, uh, which is a miraculous in and of itself, but <laughs> really strange. I don't think this is a reflection of overall aviation safety. I just think it's a, you know, a, sh- a strange series of events that we shouldn't read too much into.
0: Yeah, it's bad luck. It, uh, I think 2014 was actually the safest year on record for the airline industry. Uh, civil aviation, even though we know the two big stories about the two, sadly, Malaysian airlines uh, had been grabbing the headlines, it was very safe, actually.
2: Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think um, IOTA just came out with a report on safety yesterday and called it a year of contrasts, which is probably about right in terms of airline safety.
0: I would say that there was one article that uh, drew my drew my attention. It's on the Runway Girl Network. It's a pretty cool website that I'm, I'm, I'm reading uh, about aviation and uh, passenger experience. And one, of the th- one thing they said, uh, linking not all the three, but some of these accidents with uh ASEAN 2014, uh, to four, was it? The one that crashed in San Francisco, you remember? Yes. Uh, they said that every of these occurrences, because now, you know, people are escaping the plane, uh, most of them unhurt, but they're taking pictures and et cetera, et cetera. And you see one thing, and uh, that's what the, the article said. Uh, the worrisome trend is that people are taking the luggages with
2: them. Ah, oh, I know. Yeah, Asiana was a was a bad one for that. There were pictures of people with their hand luggage, and it's like the biggest no no in in any accident situation. Just get off the plane, get away from that gigantic fuel tank that you're sitting on top of.
0: Yeah, even even just turning back to take a picture is a bad idea. In itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely crazy. It's 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 insane. Uh, by the way, do you have any favorite scene of James Bond taking back control of a plane?
2: Oh no! I don't know off the top of my head.
0: (laughs) Actually, my favorite scene of in an aircraft in an airplane is on the Leaving Daylights, and it's not a a movie that a lot of people love. It's one of my favorites actually, and it's uh, when Timothy Dalton, so James Bond, is fighting a baddie at the back of uh, Hercules C one thirty. And he tries to then, you know, to get rid of the battery and take back the control back of the plane. I really love that that scene. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I love my James Bond. And this is 007. I just had to. Um, uh, moving on to uh, very shortly, a brief piece of news. I think I mentioned the plane already, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. And I wrote an article about it. It's Solar Impulse 2. So it's yeah. the, uh, this massive wing, basically, filled with solar cells. Uh, that has just started uh, its flight around the world it's so it's a the first ever they are attempting to do the first ever round the trip around the world trip without any fuels only on 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 solar cells uh, it, it's something that's pretty pretty cool I think right
2: yeah, absolutely amazing. in fact it's just uh, coming into Karachi now after a flawless flight from from Dubai to Oman yesterday.
0: Yeah, you can you can you can follow uh, on solarimpulse.com, Although the website was down many times, there's so many people trying connecting. So on Twitter, uh, for uh, solar impulse uh, at solar impulse is the account, and uh, I'll put also in the show notes. There's a, a live feed on YouTube. You can constantly see what's happening. So maybe you want that as a background because you know most of the time it's just two, two guys piloting a plane, but it's pretty. Pretty cool. I think the the challenge is really nice. Here we're clearly far off from having an A three hundred and eighty just using uh, solar power, but uh, it Uh, is the way we're going with flying. We have to keep doing these innovations. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree with you. It makes us. It makes us dream as well. So Godspeed. It's very
2: inspiring. Very inspiring.
0: It is. So Bond uh, flew many times a seven four seven, which is Alex and my favorite plane. The last time was it in, was in Quantum of Solace in 2008, and it was actually in Virgin Atlantic, but we'll come to that later. we're going to talk about James Bond. But he never flew
2: Qantas. No, he didn't. And Qantas have just retired their very first 7,,47, 400 in a really quite emotional, rather sweet way. They flew it to a, they donated it to a museum, which is wonderful in and of itself. Uh, they should get massive kudos for that. And they they flew it to this uh, to this museum, uh, and they had this a huge huge welcome from from all uh, all of these people that you know probably aren't hugely uh, aviation nerds like we are. But the the pictures are wonderful, the video is spectacular of this plane landing on a on a very short runway, and I think that they had to it was like a twenty four minute flight from from Sydney Airport, and they. They donated it to the Historical Aircraft Restoration Society, and it will be the only—I didn't know this—the only seven forty-seven four hundred in the world on public display. Oh, I didn't know that. Either. Yeah, wow. which is which is great. So for for if you if you're ever at uh, Illawarra, which is not not too far from Sydney, it's it's definitely going to be worth checking out. And there was a rumor going around that. It was really sad because they they landed at this, on this short runway and they'd never be able to take off again. It would be physically impossible for this plane to ever leave again, which is quite a nice story. But it turns out even Qantas came out and said, yes, that's kind of not true. If we took all the seats out of the airplane, we could get this bird in the air. I'm sure uh, I read there was – They'd a- find a way. Yeah, exactly. I am mean,
0: come on. It's uh, true that the runway was only I think a 1800 uh, meters uh, long or short because it's really a short runway, and I think what they did they they really they landed. I mean I'll put there's a few videos. There's even a, co- in, uh, a view from the cockpit for the landing. It's really cool. Amazing. Uh, they uh, I think they they landed at an approach speed that was uh, much. Slower than the usual approach speed for a seven four seven, and they also
2: pumped down the tires. Yes. In order, yeah, right. Yeah. Very. I mean, it's it must have been a fun project for everybody involved in this to try and figure out the logistics of getting a plane this size. And there's a wonderful picture that we'll post on this in the show notes of this incongruously large seven forty seven four hundred. You know, right up against like thirty five year old cessnas and pipers and things like that it's it's really a wonderful picture in this tiny little regional airport there that's that's now it's home yeah i'll definitely try
0: to check it out next time in australia which hopefully will be soon i don't know guys but i really hope so uh still uh 747 so another tidbit about james bond actually bond flew once Lufthansa. And we know that the Lufthansa... Wow, you really
2: have your 007 trivia. This is Yeah,
0: I, I really love James Bond. Uh, he, fl- he flew, uh, I think it was on Diamonds Forever. He flew to Amsterdam to LAX on a Lufthansa. It was not a 747. But we know that Lufthansa is the airline that is the most committed to the 747-8, so the newest version of the 747. Uh, Ch- Air China also has it. But the good thing, and this is good news for you, Alex, uh, Korean Air... He's introducing its 747-8 in London. You'll oh. be able to flow Seoul to London and London to Seoul. Uh, I think the, the, the flights will start in August. Uh, the number will be KE907 uh, K-E, uh, and 908. I'm sure. So that's one more chance for you, Alex, to fly. And it's from London. That's a that great news.
2: Finally. Paul and I have always lamented that for some reason... London doesn't seem to get the cool airplanes until ages after they launched. The Dreamliner was the exception. A lot of airlines deployed it, but they seem to have scaled back and added capacity, which is good for Heathrow, but bad for those of us that want to try all these neat new airplanes that are coming out. The 787 originally, the A350, the 748... So, good, good. I'm now going to Seoul this year because I want to <laughs> fly on that airplane.
0: <laughs> and, and the airport, Seoul Incheon is a really, really, really good airport. It's one of the best in the world. One one piece of tidbit, and I'm sure we're going to read it about it in, in the design air because these guys, it's a website that they're very good at uh, talking about, you know, seats arrangements and the new products that are being laid out. Interestingly, uh, on uh, Lufthansa, the 7478 has uh, eight... First class seats, Korean Air will only have six on the, for, in the same and a similar uh, uh, room uh, environment, and uh, the business class, which is in the upper deck, uh, Lufthansa has thirty two, and, and Korean Air will only have uh, twenty two. So that means that there will be a new product in that in that plane. I'm very curious to see it, and probably the designer will find that information uh, for us. Uh, moving on to the innovation news of the week, you know, uh, it's the kind, of, the kind of news that we wouldn't have if uh, James Bond was, wasn't here. Because you remember in The View to a Kill, uh, it's not the best Bond movie, but you remember the plot
2: was, let's destroy the Silicon Valley. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make a controversial statement here, but Timothy Dalton was my favorite Bond. You know
1: what? Me too. God See, damn thank it! Thank you. You're the only
2: person in the world that agrees with me. Every, I, no one liked him. I liked him. I thought he was. I, maybe it's because he was the Bond I grew up with. But you know, okay, Daniel Craig's pretty kick-ass. But I but, agree. But Timothy yeah. Dalton, there was something about him that just—I was like, yep, I get it. You're—you're you're a good Bond. I, I,
0: I, you know what? I totally agree with you. Uh, so yeah, so the the new the, the first piece of innovation before we get lost in in bond quotes and, and stuff and, and stories of our youth, Sita um, has just released a report, another report. We're talking reports today, right? Uh, called the Futurist Personal. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So obviously, it comes from a company, but it goes into a lot of the trends. they, they do a lot of surveys in airports, airlines. Etc. And looking at the trends where the investment is going through innovation, uh, and one the the one bit that I really uh, really like uh, liked it first. Do you use any uh, airline
2: and or airport apps, Alex? I use lots of airline apps. I don't think I've ever used an airport app. They 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 say something that is very that
0: that has been. I mean, it's an evidence, but it's been the the limiting factor for me using airline airline apps is that. A lot of the times, it's very good for booking and having, for instance, your boarding pass, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Lufthansa, for instance, is one that's very good, but they're not always very good at giving you real-time information. So if there's a gate change or if there's a delay, what I want and what most people want, and this is what the report is actually uh, stressing, is that this information should be live on your phone immediately. I mean, I default most of the time to the screens in the airport. I'm like, okay, where's the gate actually? Okay, there it is, because I, I still do not trust that uh, the the app will give me uh, uh, a real time information, and I th- and they say this is one of the biggest hindrance of the adoption of uh, airline apps, and also to a certain extent airport apps. And I believe that's I mean it's it's an evidence, but it's something that's really need to be to be worked because I even someone like me, very savvy, I'm limited by it.
2: Yeah, I I'm frustrated that I have to have. So many airline apps simply to just get my boarding pass. The rest of it is all peripheral garbage, as far as I'm concerned. Like I think if you if you were able to look at, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I mean if you were look at able to look at the analytics of my use of airline apps, it would be give me my boarding pass and then leave me the hell alone. I, I haven't, but I think that I'm not a normal user. I I did a little in uh, off the cuff. Poll on Twitter saying, "Have you ever booked a flight using an airline app?" And the response was overwhelmingly yes. People do.
0: Oh, but okay,
2: that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, <laughs> I I would consider myself a bit of a power user, but yeah, I whatever they can do to solve this this disparity and this kind of distribution of of information across multiple apps, multiple platforms, and Either looking down at my app or looking at an information display screen, neither of which have any relation to each other or any relevance directly to me, uh, is gosh. I mean, I, ho- I hope they're able to do it. I think it's a big thing. But if anybody is in the position right to do it, it's Ceta, who owns so much of the infrastructure of airports and airlines.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, uh, the one, the, the other, the one thing, uh, uh, tidbit of information is uh, another evidence. But they say that nowadays that um, 97 of the passengers carry some sort of uh, electronic device, either a smartphone, tablet, laptop, on all three at times. I guess you're an all three guy, or maybe two, because I don't think you use your tablet, right? Not too much. Yeah, right. Uh, Me too. I have a tablet, but I don't always take it. So meaning that the way you just said about that relevant information for yourself, which is the title of this report, The Future is Personal, should be there. It's still not there. I mean, I still do have to rely... I mean... I still sometimes I'm not sure that the information I'm getting on my phone is right and I still want to double check on the screen. Yeah, that's that's an
2: interesting trust thing, isn't it? That's an interesting trust thing that you assume that the airport is going to be right and the app might not be. I think we've learned from TripIt that it can be the other way around. Correct. But but TripIt is an outlier in that because they have been around for so long and are so good. Yeah.
0: Uh, A few more things here is that it's interesting to see that the high... the uh, Where the airlines, they did a a kind of ranking. Where are the airlines performing the best and the airlines performing the worst in terms of technology? In terms of performing the lowest is the wireless uh, IPE, though there's a lot of improvement that is expected. It's the live TV installations. It's interesting. It's a big trend. Live TV is a a major trend that I've never, I I, I think I just watched once the World Cup uh, on Emirates, but never watched live TV. But apparently it's something a lot of people request. Yeah. And, uh, and... The travel disruption prevention. I think this is something that airlines do not perform very well. At telling you exactly what I said, what what you should you know, what are the contingency plans you can have. Uh, where they perform best is the mobile boarding passes. Exactly what you want, uh, like you said. In terms of airports, where they perform lo- lowest, it's again disruption prevention. Yeah. So we can see that the areas where most people complain, which is like my flight has been canceled, my flight is delayed, et cetera, et cetera. Are those still the ways, the the, the, the areas where, all, although some investment has been done, is not pushing enough, no. and it's there's a, a clear correlation. They perform uh, obviously best uh, airports on real time information. Those screens, yeah. you see, they own it. They own yeah. it. They
2: have to be good at that.
0: Yeah, and uh, but it's 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 uh, it's uh, it's interesting. The uh, little thing here, the uh, that, that I read. <laughs> in a kind of related way, I don't know, another, command, another James Bond tidbit, and the world is not enough, uh, James Bond has these uh, eyeglasses that do X-ray stuff. And obviously, this is one of the trends we see in innovation, is that the most of the stuff you see in all the James Bond movies are now actually real. Real, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, Sita uh, again, the, uh, the president of AI, uh, the APAC region, uh, said something I didn't know, because we, we mentioned that Virgin Atlantic, had been trying uh, Google Glass, had been trying smartphones, etc. had been trying a lot of stuff at Ethro and he said that out of all the, the attempts they've made Google Glass was the most successful and I quote: "Wow! The you, the universal symbol for I'm bored with you is either to look at your watch or look at your phone. And actually, having a, gla- a pair of glasses for the the, the the staff means that he can he or she can still look you in the right. eye. And that's just proven very uh, uh, very so. Could, that's one future for Google Glass or so whoever else does does It's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah." Um, Another thing that we sometimes, I'm united as uh, on uh, on its app as an integration with uh, Uber, and you wanted to mention something about Uber here.
2: Yeah, just uh, j- just quickly as we as we dip through this, so Uber have had some battles well, all over the world about the legality or the questionable legality of the service, and really, it's it's the technical legality, I think, and they've just had another. Uh, Setback in Japan, where in 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 Fukuoka, the ride-sharing component, which was called Everyone's Uber, has been deemed illegal because it was allowing drivers to profit from taking someone from point A to point B without actually having a taxi license. So they've they've shut it down. They still have a presence in Tokyo, but even there, and you'll know more about this than me, they're they're struggling a little bit because there is a huge marketplace and there are 50 thousand taxis in japan in which, is, right? which is four times the amount of new y- in, uh, in new york so they and the, you know what and the door at uh, the back door opens, opens automatically. yeah <laughs> it's awesome I, I think so their the local taxi operators are so powerful there that they have their own apps um and japan i mean this is a generalization they they usually innovate from within that's where the success seems to come from it's rarely imported and i think Uber have struggled, and actually, when while we were filming *Attaché* in Barcelona, we learned that Uber is illegal in Spain, and now they've pivoted to do this food delivery service, which uh, didn't actually work when we tried it. So they, you know, they're they're good at Plan B, but you know, another another setback for Uber.
0: Yeah, uh, they, they have a lot of money in the coffee. And I remember, yeah, having, they don't need to worry about it too much. <laughs> I remember having dinner with uh, Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber. I think it was in Paris in 2011, probably. And he was just asking me about Asia, and I told him that you know Tokyo and Japan in general will be a tough uh, nut to crack because of what you said. There's already so so many taxis, and the quality of the taxis are also very good. Yeah, and there's uh, maybe less incentive for people to use limo, but. They are in Tokyo. They're very limited service, actually. You can find Ubers, and you'll see when you get there, Alex. Uh, you, you have only a very limited uh, areas of Tokyo, because it's a huge city, when you can actually get access to Uber. And the, the other thing is that, uh, like you just mentioned, in, the, in terms of the local competition, Line, which is a massaging app, has just launched Line Taxi. So it's oh, a wow. taxi-hailing service. And they've done what they've done is they've um, done a partnership with... Uh, Nihon Honkatsu, which is one of the largest uh, taxi operator, uh, it has 23,000 cabs. Uh, which is so it's the nation's largest groups uh, of 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 taxi operations. So obviously, and so within that app that is already very popular in Japan for communication, you can actually directly hail a cab. So and that's and they are present in ninety cities. Wow. Japan, yeah. See, already.
2: that's that's an uphill battle there, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah.
0: But anyway, well, it's you know I, I wish them best. I think Uber is still an interesting uh, an interesting model and. I just mentioned earlier that it was integrated in in United's um, airline app, for instance, because that's part of the you know the user experience. You leave the airport, or, I mean, you arrive at the airport and immediately. You can hail uh, Uber. I mean, there's kind of the the old the old passenger journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an interesting, and I think Uber can be part of it uh, for some airlines. It's, it's an
2: interesting, it's an yeah, interesting. Yeah, they'll app. have to just come at it a different angle, which is what they've been good at.
0: Uh, so st- keeping keeping in in, uh, in, in Japan, uh, so ANA uses uses lines uh, to communicate with uh, with its uh, 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 passengers and customers. Uh, we we we, wit- we saw that in episode uh, 005. Uh, that's another James Bond. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> that uh, China Eastern Western. You remember uh, doing this app with a chat bot, so you can actually ask yes. request stuff. So which is, it was a little bit out there. But the reason I mentioned Chinese is that the Sky Team has been doing a lot of do things, and they're very—they're very, they're going very heavily into these messaging apps that were that uh, we just mentioned. So Line uh, being one, uh, WeChat being the other. So um, WeChat uh, Air France is now on WeChat only for these uh, uh, Chinese customers. It's a Chinese—it's um, a Chinese account, and Sky Team itself. So the group, the Alliance, has just opened its own WeChat account as well and people can ask directly from the schedules, the connections, etc. So it's, it's, it's an interesting way because if you don't know WeChat uh, or even Line, it's way more than simply WhatsApp. And I say simply WhatsApp, WhatsApp is just a one-to-one communication channel. These are closer to something like, I uh, maybe you know Facebook. It, uh, it's no, it's very hard to compare. So they offer a lot of services, and still, in uh, for Sky Team, you know Transavia, which is the um, the uh, low cost uh, airline from the uh, the KLM uh, Air France group, actually is trialing right now WhatsApp in Europe since we don't have WeChat, etc. So, to, would you ever consider talking to an airline where we are WhatsApp?
2: Absolutely, Europe? yeah. You go where the audience is, right? And I think if we all prefer, at least I'm, me, I prefer being able to talk to somebody live, not on the phone. If I could message them uh, or chat to them online. Great. That's a, I would love that. As long as it's actual full service, there are certain airlines out there, uh, Virgin Atlantic, <laughs> uh, excuse me, uh, who <laughs> their their chat staff can't actually help you with a specific reservation. It's only general questions, which is like, why bother?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. I don't know for the for what Transavia does. I know that they've... It's, I think it's not 24-7. It's 8 to 10, but it's 7 days a week. So yeah, that's another step, in the, right step in the right direction. It's only for the Net- Netherlands right now. But if, if it's successful, they're going to expand that. But I agree with you. There's so much time, you know, if, especially when you try to call nowadays uh, customer support, and it's not only limited to airlines and airports. It can be everything. You end up in this eternal loop of... Press 1 to do this, press 5 to do that, press star and dash. And stay on hold for 45 and, minutes. Yeah, and, and you don't get, you just want a simple answer. You say, what is the, you know, what, I, it could be about a gate change. It could be something very simple. And that could cut the time a lot if I could use an a, a, just a chat app and just ask a question and having someone. And you know what? Even if it's a robot answering me, I wouldn't notice. No, I just want the answer exactly. to my question. And that. I think in terms of customer support, it both helps us, you and me and other flyers. But it could also help the airlines into mm-hmm. limiting the amount of time that you get an answer. You can, ha- you, can you can automate a lot of this stuff. So I Absolutely. think it's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Pretty interesting. Um, moving on to uh, oh yeah, another. This is a bit uh, just interesting tidbit, more than a piece of actual innovation that's going to be implemented in a plane tomorrow. Uh, I hope. The, uh, <laughs> Well, uh, let's start with a 007 as you, you just uh, asked me to. You challenged me on that. So, um, <laughs> in for for you, in for your eyes only, which is also a favorite of mine. Uh, you can remember there's um, there's this helicopter that can be uh, controlled with a radio, so with a remote control. And when you think about it, nowadays you have your own drone. So again, reality is getting back to uh, to James Bond. Here, though, and that's never ha- never happened in James Bond is an entire plane uh that can be it's a jet actually uh, that could be um, directed piloted with your thoughts
2: amazing what do you think about amazing it? i mean it's the future really isn't it there've been so much uh, so much investment and in thought and research into mind control but these these they've, they've done it they've actually done it I know it's in a simulator, but it's a it's a full training simulator that they've done this this experiment in, and this this lady is quadriplegic, paraplegic, yeah, ex- exactly, fully handicapped, like it yeah. was yeah. amazing. So she
0: has no actual possibility if you use her, her, uh, her limbs to do to any kind of movement. So she can control on uh, what was it? It was an F thirty five. F thirty five, so an excre- extremely advanced airplane. This this is amazing. Uh, do you do you remember that movie with Clint Eastwood called Firefox? Fox? yeah wow
2: what an obscure movie
0: (laughs) but that's exactly that you know thinking in the movie. but again i don't know if it's going to have any kind of implementation in civil aviation in the future but i think this is also something pretty it looks like sense i mean man we're living in science fiction nowadays It's, it's it's just it's just incredible yeah um Another, so something that's going to be a very easy one talking about James Bond for that the next piece of news you want to introduce because tracking has been something that's present in every single James Bond movie. So I could go on forever about what you, I'm going to just one example. I know, the man with a golden gun, uh, you know, the, the vehicle can be tracked. And that was at the time, like, how, oh, wow, you can tracking a vehicle. Come Science on, now fiction. we all can be tracked with our phones. So, tracking coming back to a plane that disappears
2: yeah so so last last story in this in this section is about a new uh, and very timely technology that rockwell collins is rolling out that is global airliner tracking so they've built a system to track continuously track global airliners or airliners around the globe and instead of trying to reinvent the wheel they've, they've approached it really sensibly they're taking a whole bunch of different data and layering it on top of each other and sort of doing some some weight, some weight, balancing and some kind of weighting towards certain types of data because some are coming every second, some are coming every 30 minutes, and building up a very accurate picture of where an airplane is at all times in the most reliable way possible. And so they're taking things like, you know, the high frequency data link, performance data from engines, the uh, ACARS, which is the the internal reporting and messaging system that it's usually used between the aircraft and the air, aircraft's dispatch uh, control system. Uh, and they did this, uh, they're releasing it in, in, in the next six months, which is extremely fast considering they only bought the, this company back in 2013. So hopefully this will help. If anything, uh, God forbid, like the Malaysian airliner thing happens again in the future that we will have a little bit more of a, of a varied tool set if you will, to find them quicker.
0: Wow, that's, that's it's very yeah, cool. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I can hope that. I mean that's that's the other thing with technology, the price falls down and probably these technologies that used to cost a lot of money. Yeah, uh, cost less and at some point we'll find something that's actually worth their while for well, airlines.
2: That's what they're saying is that the, the, one of the selling points here is that it's it's really scalable and it's very cheap because it's built on existing technologies that are already – and this is the key – technology that is already built into airplanes. Planes, yeah. So it's not a question like we talked about last week where you have to reverse engineer all of these ancient airplanes. Most of them are already using this stuff anyway. Very smart. Very yeah. Elegant solution.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh in 1983 in October, <laughs> 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 there was a, one thing. I mean, this is it's an okay movie. It's a cool movie, but there's one thing that I really remember as a kid that was really impressive. It was James Bond has a Seiko watch where you can watch TV. There was like a camera on it, and you can actually uh, follow what happened and. So, the app of the week this weekend, and we're taking a little bit of a leap of faith here because it's not, a, first of all, it's not an app. Second of all, it's not it hasn't been released yet. So, a lot of people might complain that we are, uh, we're drinking the Kool Aid. But we decided to do the app of the week to be the Apple Watch. Yeah. Will you buy an Apple Watch? Uh,
2: it's one of those things where, like, nah, I, think, I think I'll wait. I think they're cool. Uh, and then I'll walk into an Apple store in next month and I'll go, oh, what just happened? I'm wearing an Apple Watch.
1: <laughs>
0: So, to be fair, there are already a lot of, of smartwatches. We, you and me have seen a lot in uh, last week in Barcelona for Mobile World Congress. The reason that Apple might be, uh, is, I mean, for us, maybe the app of the week, I mean, the gadget of the week or something, is that it's probably going to push the envelope and push a lot of adoption. So, we're not saying it's going to be much better. Maybe not. We haven't tried it than uh, than, uh, current Android-based smartwatches, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of stuff gonna happen. I I don't know if you've seen the keynote, but during the keynote there was a lot of uh, displays of demos and stuff that happened. And there are some apps related to travel and airlines that so are will, will be released up on uh, up when the device ships. So the device will be shipped on April 24th. It will be on display starting April 10th for those who want to go in an Apple store to check it out. So there's um American Airlines is uh, is has developed an app for the Apple Watch, and you know you'll get a notification when it's time to leave for the airport. You get that real-time info I was talking earlier about. Like a gate change, et etc. You'll be able to check in with your watch uh, during the flight, and that's actually something that's pretty pretty fun during the flight. You'll have a map with the remaining time of your flight, and uh, upon arrival, you'll have the details. That's of the, cool. The baggage, the baggage claim, um, you know, the belt where it is, and the connect or the connection details. And I think, I mean, most of these stuff can exist already on an iPhone app or an Android an, an app. I'm not saying, but having a a, a a subset of these on your on your wrist can be pretty
2: cool. Actually, absolutely, know? it's it's timely at a glance information. You don't have to pull your phone out uh, and get yelled at by the flight attendant. I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's it's great, and I think a lot of airlines and travel brands have seen the potential and have, instead of just building out me, a bunch of me too apps, they've actually built some very cool stuff. Um, Starwood. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Starwood. Allow their app, their their uh, their Apple Watch app. I keep wanting to say iWatch. I need to work on that. Their <laughs> Apple Watch app actually works as your hotel room key.
1: That's awesome.
2: So man. just proximity, like you're there and it unlocks. That's cool. That's a very nice, elegant application of the device as opposed to, you know, I can't think of anything silly, but I'm sure there are going to be a lot of silly apps and. You know, no, but there's others.
0: City Mapper, I mean, this—I uh, mean, you probably use City Mapper. Great, it's such yeah, a great, great app, app for public transport. Will have uh, directions on your on your wrist. Trip Advisor will tell you what's best nearby. Open Table will tell you how to get to your next reservation. I mean, these are, and these are uh, Uber is actually will have an app. with like you know the estimated time of arri- arrival to your car. Uh, so again, these are of course only the first apps, and we'll see tons and tons. But I think it's interesting to to see like. The subset that will be created on your wrist. Um, Will we be able to use Passbook? So I've seen. If you look at the, if you look at the keynote, you can see Passbook. I'm wondering if the 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 QR code is big enough. And the worst of it, I'm wondering, what will be the proper way to turn around your wrist to make it work on the QR code reader? Yeah, (laughs) that would be cool, wouldn't it?
2: because they need to look at the name, don't they? They need to. You can you can get through certain points, but I think they need to look at the name. But that would be cool. That would be very yeah. cool. I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this changes travel. Yeah, and you'll be will.
0: you'll be you'll be in the U.S. You'll so you'll have. A very yeah, good chance I'm pretty here. sure I'm yeah. gonna come back. Are you are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna play Oracle Finger and get the gold one? <laughs> nah. <right? laughs>
2: yeah, just drop my ten thousand bucks on there. Yeah, or whatever it is, something obscene like that. Uh,
0: the topic of the week is a funny one. We're not going to go for too long. It's talking about James Bond and the, uh, you know, his relation with aircraft movies, um, uh, the aircraft, the movies, the airplanes and the airports and etc. So we're just going to do a few minutes about that because there's a lot of stuff. But you see, I'm going to start with one example to see that, to, to show you that the uh, James Bond influence is beyond the movie and beyond even, we're talking 1973 it was, I think. Lot so the, comp- the Polish company uh, the, the Polish airline that still exists today, which was be- behind the, you know the, the curtain wall. So behind it was it was a communist country. They knew about James Bond obviously because when they introduced their first flight, uh, the transatlantic from Warsaw to New York, to JFK, it was supposed to be LO one and LO 2 the back the, the return flight. Uh, but because uh, Live and Let Die was playing in the cinema, they called it LO006 and LO007. Ah. <laughs> so you see, even back then, in, even when Europe was divided into James Bond, it had this huge influence. That's pretty cool, actually. That
2: is cool. Story. That is cool. And there's, uh, you found this wonderful list on Wikipedia, which is a list of every James Bond vehicle ever. And it has cars which everybody knows about all of the the wonderful Aston Martins etc cetera, etc cetera, and trains but there is an extremely long list of all of the aircraft that have been uh, that have appeared who flew them what they were and there's some absolute gems in here like a Boeing 377 Stratocruiser which is one of the most unique airplanes I've ever se- like you'll ever see in your life yeah. Um, the blimp in uh, A View to a Kill. Yeah. that View to a Kill? <laughs> it's just like all over the place. It's such a great do, list.
0: Do, 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 do you have one favorite or
2: air, air, Airplane that has appeared in, in James Bond? Yeah, or well,
0: Airplane or Aircraft or Scene or whatever because there's a, for instance you, everybody when they talk about you know the James Bond in the air. They think about you. Only live twice. Do you remember that little? It was little N- Nelly. It's even on the posters. It's a little helicopter kind of thingy. That's, that was very. Uh, it's a gyroplane. Yes. So it's, it's like a mix between a helicopter and a plane. And that was that's one that everybody talks about. Is it one that that you would have loved to fly once? I think it was de- it was destroyed uh, on an accident by the guy who was doing. A, he was both the stuntman on, on the, the the James Bond uh, movie, but he also did a lot of, of shows with it and he destroyed it completely. But is that a problem? Have to which have to which spoil. movie was it in? Uh, the, uh, you Only Live Twice. Is the one that happens in Japan.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, so those gyroplanes are look look so much fun. In fact, where I used to live in California, there's the Hiller Aviation Museum and Hiller was a pioneer in gyroplanes, personal helicopters, um, Vestol platforms, and so there's this whole museum full of things like this, and you just look at them and go, "God damn, those look fun." <laughs> but you're right; yeah. he crashed it. I mean, the guy that he walked away unhurt, but they weren't exactly the safest things in the world. No, they were
0: absolutely not. And the other, for me as a kid that I remember, because it was again Octopussy, 1983. It was I was old enough to remember. Is the opening scene where there was the world's smallest jet aircraft? Oh, the Acrostar. That the thing that was, you know, very small and the the stunt was really impressive because the stunt the the plane goes within an hangar which doors are being closed. And that for me is uh I mean it it still remains so this way. maybe I was, you know, I was what was in '83, it must have been what seven, eight. It it was one of the scenes that really struck Mike like, wow, holy cow. And apparently it was a very difficult stunt to achieve. I would so. imagine.
2: I would imagine. <laughs> but there's like there's so many great airplanes that they use they even use so these concord uh in moonraker and then they yeah a, he flew the Concorde flew to, to, to a, a, rio. air France, not be yeah. air France, because it was going to rio they used uh a space shuttle there's the shot of the 747 space shuttle carrier uh,
0: i i sorry to hold on to, uh, yeah to interrupt you here because uh i was in the u.s as a kid my first visit in 1980 uh in florida and I've actually seen that plane landing with a shuttle on the oh, top of wow. it. I was, yeah, I, I was, this is one of my fondest memories. The car stopped on the highway. Everybody was stopping and my dad was like, what the hell is going on? And everybody was watching over because we were, in, we were going to Cap Canaveral. So we want to visit, you know. And uh, it was landing with the 747, the space shuttle was landing. I will always remember that. I don't have any pictures because back then I didn't have an iPhone. You just grab something. <laughs> but, that's one of my fondest memories, so sorry go on
2: that's so cool that's so cool uh
0: the other thing so he flew interestingly enough uh we ha in terms of civil aviation uh we haven't seen a lot of of, of civil aircrafts in the in the, in, the, in
2: the the movie, but you would assume that James Bond would fly British Airways. well right? that's the funny thing isn't it here's I'm not a, nearly as up on my bond trivia as you are, but here's one um you're right. In one of the recent, more recent movies, he flies on uh, on Virgin, and Richard Branson has a cameo. Yeah, that's a quantum uh, of solace. When they aired that on British Airways flights, that whole segment is edited out.
1: No way do you yep. know that?
2: Yep. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, I love British Airways, but that's childish. You know, it's.
1: <laughs>
0: So yeah, so it, actually there was a lot, a lot of promotion for that 2008 movie. There was even a drink that was inv- invented uh, and served on Virgin Atlantic. So uh, because you can see Daniel Craig being in the upper class, I've never flown Virgin. You, you did so, and you can see is being served that drink. And you could actually order that drink, but I really didn't know about yep. that BA story. That's uh, because a. He flew BA, though. Uh, I know he flew a uh, 747 from uh, London to Hong Kong in Die Another Day. And another tidbit of story, he's in first class. Well, obviously, he's James Bond. <laughs> and he's being served a vodka martini, as usual, again. But behold, the actress displaying the flight attendant is the actual daughter of Roger Moore. Really? Yes, in that, in, *In Die Another Day. That's so, a nice little... Uh, he's, he's But he, he, I think he flew for the first time, BA, uh, in only 1995 when he goes to um, Saint Petersburg. Seems like Alt- a missed
2: opportunity for BA, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, though the, the, there are some signs of. I mean, you probably know that because you're a, you're also British. Uh, B O A C. Yes. Uh, yeah, there are signs of. Better BOAC. on a camel. I believe is what it stands for. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh well, uh, there are signs in the earlier movies. I think in Doctor No, even even though Doctor No, the first airline we ever see is Pan Am, Pan Am, which for all of us is one of these legendary airlines It's disappeared. But you know the logo and the bags and everything. I mean, well, anyway, we could go on forever and ever. The one last uh, is you know uh, cannot not mention Goldfinger because it's almost for everyone their favorites. Uh, where Oracle Finger travels from the UK from London to Geneva, uh, the actual airport you see in the movie at the beginning when he when he, he starts his journey is London Southend.
2: Ah, interesting.
0: Yeah, which now is an airport. I mean, uh, of course, the definition of being it being in London is a bit stretched. Yeah, right there. there's a few of those
2: where it's like <laughs> the, they're nowhere near. And actually, I just read an interesting trip report on airliners.net, which I'll post in the show notes about a guy that took a, took a flight from uh from London South End to somewhere in Switzerland, I can't remember where, but it looked like a very, very nice little airport. I have never been there. Neither have I. Really. I. I've got no reason to go there, but I think it's it serves a, a a large port of part of the UK, so I think uh I might have to go check it out. Yeah,
0: I will too as well. Uh going to the the question of the week so this is a question I invented myself because we were going to James Bond today. Uh, in Goldfinger, again, when uh, I th- when Ari Goldfinger, so this huge, very rich, you know, baddie, James from baddie, uses this, he's, he has a private jet. A private jet, I think, is Lockheed, the Jetstar, I think it was. Uh, and, you know, for, for the times, it was like, wow, this guy has this private jet. And so I wanted to ask the question, who owns a private 747?
2: It's a, It's a great question. And there are of, I don't, there's not a straight answer, is there? Because no, no, exactly. There's uh. Well, so what did you find? Well, there's there's a few private, properly private VIP seven forty sevens, and they're owned almost without exception by uh, heads of state or princes. So it kind of already blurs the line between correct what's private and what's state funded. But there is, uh, there there are a few. There's there's uh, the Sultan of Brunei has a seven forty seven four hundred, and again, right. is that like Air Force One or is it? I don't. I don't know. It's difficult to say.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at if you look at the interior of that plane because there are some pictures online. You know, I think the 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 retrofit just for the interior was a more than a north of a hundred million dollars. And there's like there's gold and there. It's really you can see that's more for the. Is it the state? Yeah, but it's more like
2: a private jet. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, and I think so. There's and there's, uh, is there Prince Al-Walid? Yeah, he's the one we mentioned. You, you, mentioned, you found that news that he canceled that 838 order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But rocked but still up has in his it. own 400, right?
0: <laughs> but he has also his own uh, 400, and I think this uh, this with the one of the Sultan Brunne these are the, the two most expensive in terms of retrofit they also the, the planes both of them cost north of 200 220 million and these are like just crazy I mean in the uh, wali uh, binallah is this yeah, there's a picture of uh, this 14 dining set table I mean what the it's just insane <laughs> no swimming pool then uh, did you find it Didn't you find any other uh, private I did uh,
2: in fact I, one of the things that I love one of my favorite airplanes, versions of my favorite airplanes is the 747 SP. Correct. Uh, we'll, well, maybe we'll do a segment on that in the next couple of weeks. It's a great airplane for so many reasons, but there were a lot of them that found life after their very limited commercial life as a, uh, a, a private jet. And the Las Vegas Sands Group, which own a bunch of hotel uh, casinos in in, uh, Vegas, use one to ferry in their ultra-high rollers from all over the world. You can find it in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, flying people into Las Vegas to go and spend tons of money. There is a guy that owns an electronic store or chain of electronic stores in, in the Western United States called Fry's Electronics, which is the most amazing place. He has his own 747SP. Um... There is a... Doesn't, doesn't the NHL has one? I think the NHL has one, right? I don't... I, I'm uh, not sure. I'm not sure. But there's a 93-year-old uh, Christian evangelist minister called Ernest Angley, who also has a Boeing 747SP, weirdly called wow. the Star 777. Uh, <laughs> even weirder, the it's registered in Aruba. So there's something not right there. Um. I'm not suggesting he is involved in anything. Actually, you know what? There's all kinds of stuff in here about his Wikipedia article that suggests perhaps he is. And then uh, – so there's loads of 747 SPs, which I'm delighted because that means they're still flying. And then another one that I found because I found it in person. I went uh, two years ago to the Boeing factory in Seattle, which if you ever get an opportunity to do, they do the most incredible tour of the, of the production line, which is something to see in itself. And there was a 747-8 coming off the line, almost completely finished in the final stages. And we said, oh, who's that one for? Because that one was for Lufthansa and that one. And they said, that one is for a private entity. Me, And she sort of said knowingly, uh-huh. meaning this is the very first 747-800 VIP A-B airplane. Version. and it's owned wow. by... By Joseph Lau, who is a Hong Kong-based real estate tycoon. And uh, he's also Asia's, Asia's wealthiest businessman. I thought that was Lee Ka-Shing, but apparently it's not. Uh, and it is the most extraordinary thing I have ever seen in my life. Inside, you, outside. Did, were you able to get inside? No, no. It was, it was uh, still oh, wow. uh, like having work done to it so no they don't
0: because there are, there are a few pictures online of that one and it seems much more understated I mean still luxurious but a little bit slightly uh, more understated than the two ones we said earlier about the Sultan of Brunei and Prince uh, al Wali bin Talal I think but having your own 747-8
2: wow this I okay so it me. has in it this is all conjecture but apparently it's been validated it has an Andy Warhol portrait of Mao Zedong a wine cellar holding more than ten thousand bottles. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> I didn't know
0: that. Yeah, now whether he keeps these airplane, enough reason for me to get in just for the wine bottle. Yeah, yeah.
2: I don't know if he keeps that on his airplane, but this is the kind of guy that we're we're talking about. I mean, it's 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 a beautiful airplane. It's a very tasteful color scheme. But but if you, if you look actually if you look
0: at the back orders there are between seven and eight uh, VIP versions of the seven four seven eight yeah uh, so I mean there are rumors obviously that apparently the Qatar government and again this is where you said earlier the lines are blurry is it a government plane is it a private plane the Qatar government as uh, one I, I think it's in order it's just I think it received now re- they received it Kuwait as one in order. Uh, but the others, I don't know. I was not able to track them down. I didn't have time unless you didn't want to just spend. Because I'm sure if you go to airliners.net or uh, uh, you'll find people that track this, I think you get there. But there are some. This is one actually a cool market because when you think that you know Lufthansa has, uh, I think, 10 or 12 747 8, and uh, you see that there's already uh, eight or nine uh, um, VIP version. that's pretty cool. Good news for. for um, for Boeing, the other thing is that obviously you mentioned it yourself in a piece of news a few episodes ago. Air Force One, the new Air Force One will yeah. be as well a, a Dash Eight. Uh, I'm sure the retrofit will, there will be also very expensive. And the other, I still wanted to mention, there are you can, if you if you ever fly to Heathrow, guys, uh, look at sometimes the window. There will be more often than not seven four seven four hundred. Uh, which is called Dubai Air Wing, and it's also owned by the government of Dubai. So again, here the lines are blurry, is it private or not? You can always see parked, so they they must be very often uh, in ether. I think they have many. They don't have only one, they have a few. Uh, Other, I mean, you also have the the Oman Royal Flight also has a 747. So you have actually quite a few 747, and this is... For Alex and me, because we love that plane, this is maybe our only option. We have to make friends with these guys if we want to still fly this plane.
2: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. We need to go and get buddy-buddy with these guys that all have their own seven. Actually, so here you go. Well, We can end on this little piece here. If you want to own your own 747, I found one for sale. No at, way! a 1986 on one of my favorite websites, controller.com, a 1986-747-300. With only 86,000 miles on it, or hours on it, not miles, that would be even, that would be amazing. 86,000 <laughs> hours, and 1,600, 16,000 cycles. Got IFE in every seat. It's all economy. Uh, wow. Yours for the low, low price of $5.2 million, which all things considered is not bad. It's got 460 seats. Gently use?
0: I'm going to find funding for that in the Silicon Valley or something. I'm just going to become a James Bond baddie and like <laughs> take someone ransom just to get that. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Uh, let's, let's start a fund. You know, we'll, we'll do a Kickstarter well, kick campaign. Alex, a... Layovers is buying a 747.
2: Yeah. That's a great idea. Donate now. Uh,
0: last bit of the show, Miami. So, why Miami? Because, you know, we were thinking to do okay this is 007 episode we have to work with something that's related to, to James Bond that was Kingston Airport I think it's the first ever and Dr. Knows that's the first ever airport we see but we don't know anything about Kingston Airport in Jamaica Alex and I we already had done uh, London Heathrow as our first episode and then I thought you know what the biggest the act, the only actual actual action scene within a movie that happens in an airport in any James Bond movie is from Casino Royale in 2006 and it's at Miami, Miami. Airport. Yep. But before before we go to Miami, tidbits. Actually, it was not filmed in Miami.
1: No, in field, <laughs> yeah.
0: If you look, if you look at uh, at some point, you'll see a plane which has the name CSA, which is basically the Czech uh, the Czech company. So the, the the filming, the runway filming, was done in Prague in the Václav Havel Airport. Uh, the airfield action. So at the you see a plane that is completely there's a fake name I think what's the name Skyfleet that's the name of uh, it's, it looks like a seven four seven it's actually a seven four seven two hundred that piece of action was filmed in Surrey in the UK on an earth on an aerodrome. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the rest uh, was actually filmed at Pinewood which is a very famous studio so. Almost nothing was a film uh, in in uh, in in Miami. The 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 really thing that, that that's really fun is that the team had to convert the airport in Prague Prague International uh, International, uh, International Airport to look like exactly an airport in Miami. So you figured like you have to plant palm trees and they had to change signs How and funny. stuff like that. This is amazing, right? And it's uh and the interiors. Yeah, I want to finish that. The interiors of the airport, so the which supposedly is Miami, it was partially also done in Nassau, so in the Bahamas, in the airport. So anyway, nothing wow. is Miami. The reason why, maybe, is because, and I'm sorry for for those of you who like that airport, it's a
2: very so-so airport, Miami airport, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Miami airport. It's The only good thing about it is that you do get a very diverse collection of airplanes and airlines going in there, uh, especially in the cargo areas. You get planes... That are older than you and I combined coming in there uh, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So there's – for from a pure aviation geek, if you can get out to a point where you can see the, the ramp, there's some good stuff coming in there. As a passenger, ugh, not a fan of Miami Airport. Not a thing. No, uh, th-
0: th- there's two reasons. I mean, first of all, if you go to Miami, I've been to Miami several times. It's true. It's not the layout. You know, it's one of those airports when you you think you see that they've been building after building after building, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense right. in itself, right? It's not like uh, Heathrow. <laughs> yeah, correct. Though Heathrow, since the uh, inception of Terminal Five and now Terminal Two, starts to make a little bit more sense. I mean, it's the the layout. If you just look on a map, the layout of Miami International Airport. Is a bit bizarre. There's uh, concourse D to J, but there's no concourse A, B, and C because of you know that's and which is okay. An airport lives and you know changes, so they had to build above other concourses. So it it all makes a little. It's not very uh, very sense. uh, Doesn't make a lot of sense, but. The other reason why you go to Miami it's because it's one of the main hub to go to Latin America. Yeah, uh, you will transit there, uh, and it's I think I think it's one of the biggest hub in terms of cargo for Latin America. Actually, uh, Miami Airport, and I'm sure it is. Interestingly, the bu- the busiest the busiest route from uh, from Miami Airport is to London. If you combine American Airlines, British Airways, and Virgin Atlantic, it's their busiest route. Didn't know that. That's interesting. That wow. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought. I that. wouldn't
2: have known that either either.
0: And uh, the last thing I want to mention is, though it's uh, this airport is a bit not very overwhelming, it's not an airport that you can be a fan of, I mean, guys, if you do not agree with us, please let us know in the comments because yeah, maybe yeah. we missed something. But I'll, I'll, be, I'll say something. They have actually uh, now implemented an entire iBCON program in it. It's one of the first oh, airports. It wow. has a wide, all the, uh, I think most, if not all the concourses, all the terminals have Beacons so, and they provide that as a as a platform if you want for anyone. Of course, we're talking near uh, app developers. We could be the airlines, could be the uh, could be uh, the airport itself to say, okay, look, you can make use of these little beacons to actually tell. In the the way it works, I and mean, you and me have seen that a little bit probably in in, in uh, mobile World congress and other conferences, is that they uh, they can tell you. Push your notification very locally in a very specific point uh, point uh, geolocation. to come comes your ge- fencing. So, I mean, they're doing that. I mean, we haven't seen any of this in most airports. So that's that's you know it helps offering that as a platform. I think it's pretty innovative and it's it's pretty it's pretty good. So I mean, I would I would give you give them good notes good grades for that. Yeah, I
2: think and they have free Wi Fi. Oh, I good. Didn't know that. free airport. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not too bad, uh, but it is. Yeah, it's it's. It's it's not a relaxing airport, I'll, I'll, I'll just say. Uh, it. It's stressful, I agree. And it's not very beautiful as well in terms of design either. Nope.
0: I mean, none of the, let's be honest here, none of the American aer- airports, I mean, rare are the American airports that really are give you a good impression in terms of design. They're usually boxes, yeah. right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. so, it's, which is, maybe we'll go there in one episode, which is maybe also the, the, the way flying is seen in the US. is more like taking the bus, whereas in other countries, it's still this glamorous experience. So, you know. If you take the bus, you don't expect to have a five-star
2: hotel, right? So no, your your expectations are set pretty low.
0: <laughs> anyway, anything else you wanted to say about Miami? No,
2: I think um, honestly the best way to get out of that airport is to rent a car. The, the public transport infrastructure isn't great, and okay, yeah, that's that's probably true, my best true. tip. Yeah, or or taxi a or cab. Taxi.
0: Yeah, I would always take a cab. I don't think I've ever done anything else with taking the cab. Yeah. Then again, it's that's the case for like. Hundred percent of the American airports
2: have been yeah. two hours <laughs> <that you can. laughs> True, very true. <laughs>
0: anyway, on that, thank you so much. Again, we run out. Uh, we went over time
2: again, but this was a 007 episode. We just had to do. Yeah, that. loads of trivia. Cannot cannot do yeah. this episode without some awesome trivia. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so that's the only one. Who, that was our only shot. We hope you guys liked it. Tell us in the comments. Uh, layovers.2. you You'll find all the information there. And you know what they say, James Bond will return, so layovers will return. See
1: you next week. Next week. Bye, Alex. Bye, Bye, guys. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Fly attendants, please prepare for landing.